Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church thanking you for joining us today. And as I say, just about every Friday, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. It's the day that we gather to worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's the day of rest. It's the day that we gather to encourage one another. We fellowship together. We worship together. And by the way, if you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are the last church you come by or you go past before you enter into North Carolina. If you ever have gone down to the Outer Banks, you've probably gone right by our church. We would love to have you worship with us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We are at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in the Hickory section of Chesapeake, Virginia. Give me a call if you need directions or if you have questions about the church. The number at the church is 757-421-7500. Or you can shoot me an email, pastorcorbett at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and love to pray for you and pray with you. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I've got to finish up what we talked about yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about how we sometimes have to mourn before we become happy based upon what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 on the Sermon of the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, sorrow that brings unrestrained tears to the eyes is the kind of sorrow that brings about comfort. We talked about the fact that the Bible doesn't say we're blessed in mourning, but it says blessed are those who are mourning or blessed are those who mourn. So God uses grief to teach us what is most important in life. Now, grief in and of itself is not a blessing. It is grief that gives us the ability to accept the comfort that God promises. So grief happens when our positive expectations of life collide with the negative realities of life. And we talked about the fact that when we lose something, when we forfeit something, then we have an opportunity to gain what we really need. And then we talked about the fact when our dreams are dashed or we lose our dreams, then we can gain on a whole new vision of what God has for us. And I started telling you about the dream that God has given us and reaching our community with the gospel and reaching our community with a Christian school. And by the way, if you're looking for a school for your children, we go from six weeks up to K-5, and hopefully we'll be adding more grades in the future. But we are so excited about the opportunity to share God's Word with young children. And the reason Hickory Ridge Academy was actually started is because God gave us a special needs son. Now, it's not a special needs school, unfortunately, but we can help your child if he does have some learning disabilities and uh, some issues that he may need some help with. But God just opened up that whole opportunity for us, all because we had some setbacks. When you think about delay, I closed the broadcast yesterday by telling you that delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instruments. In other words, The delay that you're going through in the prime of this grieving process, God is using that, and he's using that to polish you. He's using that to sand off your rough edges. You know, everybody goes through a wilderness experience. I should say, everybody that God greatly uses goes through a wilderness experience. In Acts chapter 7, we're reminded of the patriarchs. 
who were jealous of Joseph. As a matter of fact, they were so jealous of him, they sold him as a slave to the Egyptians. Ah, but God was with Joseph. Every step of the way, God was with Joseph. In all those troubles that he was having, God was with Joseph. And it says that Joseph was given wisdom that enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all of his palace. You see, so many times things in our lives that we think are a setback are really a setup. God is setting things up for us to be promoted and setting things in place and preparing us for the next step. You know, the Hallmark Channel is already showing Christmas music, uh, Christmas movies, rather. You know, my wife, she loves watching them. The only problem with these Hallmark Channel movies is that they're all very predictable. I mean, you can figure out what's going to happen. There's going to be somebody breaking up with somebody at the beginning of the movie, and then they are kind of distant from somebody else, but they're going to have this relationship with somebody else, and they're going to fall in love, and they're going to live happily ever after. There's always a crisis that leads to triumph, and everybody lives happily ever after. You can always predict it at the beginning of the movie. However, life rarely ends like a Hallmark movie. Life has bumps and turns and detours that we have never expected. But in the midst of that, in our times of mourning, we receive comfort. So here's the third thing I think we got to learn. When you lose your perfection, you can gain God's grace. We are told to be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, this is the same chapter, right? Matthew 5, 48 says, Be ye perfect, Jesus is speaking, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, these words of Jesus are so very important. They set the standard for being acceptable to our Heavenly Father. Jesus' word can be easily causing us to be filled with despair, when we realize that we can never be perfect. If we can never be perfect, we can never be accepted before God's eyes. And I said, so when you lose your perfection, you gain God's grace. I become perfect in the eyes of God when I'm a recipient of his grace. Now, when Jesus uses that word perfect in that particular verse of Matthew 5, 48, he is not talking about without sin. Unfortunately, many people don't take Jesus' words as seriously as they should. There are severe eternal consequences for those who don't meet God's standards called hell, eternal separation. But Jesus calls us to be perfect. How does this happen? We can't reach it. When we think about this, those who are perfect in Christ will avoid the consequences of imperfection and will spend a wonderful eternity living with the Heavenly Father. Through Jesus' perfection, We become worthy in God's sight. That is the relief that Jesus desires for each of us. He wants us to look at our lives and says, you know what? In and of ourselves, we cannot be perfect. So give up perfection. Instead, receive God's grace. We know that God's word here is telling us that we are perfect and that perfection is found in Christ. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that hopefully will help to spread some light into this. He says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, the partial passes away. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish ways. 
So when we think about what Jesus is saying, he says, when that which is perfect comes, the partial passes away. Paul there is talking about when Jesus comes. He who is perfect, when he comes, the partial will pass away. There's a maturing process that takes place that we become more perfect, we become more mature. And so Paul uses the analogy of a child. He says, when I was a kid, I talked like a kid, I thought like a kid, I reasoned like a kid, but then I became a man, I sent away those childish ways of thinking. So the point is here that we cannot be perfect in and of ourselves. When we mature to the fact that we can receive God's grace and not be a disgrace to God's grace, that we become more like Christ. We become perfected. Philippians 3.12 says, Paul speaking, It's not that I've already obtained all of this or have been perfected, but I press on to take hold of that which which Christ took hold for me. Now, I want you to know that it's a trap to presume that God wants to make us perfect specimens of what he can do. God's purpose is to make us one with himself. The emphasis of holiness movements tends to be that God is producing specimens of holiness to put in a museum. You know, if you want to accept this concept of personal holiness, your life's determined purpose will not be for God but for what you call the evidence of God in your life. He can say that God's will for me is to be sick. Then Isaiah 53.10 says, if it was God's will to bruise his son, why shouldn't he bruise you? When we think about this whole matter of becoming perfect, Christian perfection is not and never can be human perfection. Christian perfection is this perfection in a relationship with God that shows itself to be true, even amidst the seemingly unimportant aspects of life. When you obey the call of Jesus Christ, the first thing that hits you is the pointlessness of the things you have to do. The next thought is that, and it strikes you, and you ask yourself, am I living this perfectly consistent life? It's not admiration of myself. It is being in awe of what God has done for me. So I want to encourage you that when you go through times of grieving, it is actually a perfecting process. We learn that when we go through times of grief, it's his love that is able to sustain us. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ in his love compels us because we were convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul talks about the fact that the love of Christ is what drives us. He says, I am convinced that that's that number one driving force in my life. In times of grief, I must go back to that compelling of the love of Christ. Secondly, in times of grief, we must remember that God's grace equips us. Paul had this thorn in the flesh, and you're all very familiar with that, I'm sure. But Paul said, or he learned, that God's grace was sufficient. God's power was made perfect in weakness. In other words, God used a thorn in the flesh in the life of Paul to make Paul more like Christ. So Paul could say, Now I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Max Licato said this, I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. So everything that happens to us, God's grace equips us for whatever happens to us. And then lastly, His promises sustain us. David put it this way in Psalm 54, 4, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Surely he hath borne our griefs, says Isaiah, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want you to know that we have this tremendous opportunity to tap into God's promises during our times of great grief and sorrow. Well, as we think about mourning and grief turning into joy, there's something else that I want to talk to you about today. And that is the whole subject of understanding that God has a purpose for whatever happens in our lives. I want you to know that setbacks are times for God to prepare us for something bigger that is happening in our lives. As I'm recording this broadcast, we are getting very close to Father's Day. And I love Father's Day because it's the day that I spend with my kids. We generally come to my house after church on Sunday, Father's Day Sunday, and we kind of just hang out. And we kind of just hang out as a family, and we tell stories about what's happening in our lives. We always play a game together. Uh, My family loves to play that board game, Catan, and it's a game of strategy. And uh, I don't generally win that game, but I certainly do enjoy playing that game. And then sometimes we'll play some card games. But to me, the best thing about Father's Day is just hanging out with my kids, just spending Sunday afternoon with my kids, hanging out with them. I want you to know that if you are a father, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And I want to encourage you today with these interesting words that were given by Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be age 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Oh, maybe that's you today. I hope that as you celebrate Father's Day, that you will have hope in your family, that you will have hope in your community, and that you will have hope in your church. Well, I want to talk to you about how do you respond in times of tragedy? How do you respond when things don't come together? Now, life is filled with setbacks. Life is filled with difficulties. It always amazes me how often things go wrong. It seems like I'm always having to repair things around the house, repair things around the church. It seems like something's always having to be fixed on my car. Life is constantly breaking down. How do we go through life without losing hope? I want you to know that we have a present hope for now, and we have a future hope. We are told in Psalm 127, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. They are a promise that is given to us. Proverbs 22, 6 reminds us that we should train up our children in the way that they should go. 
Uh, that is the bent that they should live their lives, and when they're old, they're not depart from it. But how do I respond when things don't go the way I thought they would go? We've got to spend some time in preparation. You know, preparation is essential for success. When I think about homes and how they're built, Proverbs 24 says that homes are built on a foundation of wisdom and understanding. We must prepare to have a successful home. Benjamin Franklin said, By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. He also said this common phrase, An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When we think about last-minute attempts to catch up on work, they generally don't work out. Last-minute attempts to catch up rarely work out. Good luck is not what's going to get you through. When we think about being prepared, we learn to think about two essentials of building a home. Proverbs says wisdom and knowledge. It doesn't say wisdom or knowledge. It says wisdom and knowledge. So you've got to know what to do, but you also have got to know how to do it. Our society is thirsty for knowledge, but it seems like it's starving for wisdom. In Daniel chapter 12, verse number 4, it says, Daniel rolled up the seal and the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and they will increase in knowledge. As a matter of fact, our thirst for knowledge, our culture thirsting for knowledge and gaining knowledge is actually a sign of the end times. That's what Daniel is saying. Daniel is saying during the end times, many will go here and there to be a lot of traveling. We see a lot of that. But there'll also be this great increase of knowledge. You see, knowledge has this addictive power to it. That's why social media is so powerful. We have this thirst to be in the know. But wisdom has a freeing power. One can have knowledge without wisdom, but one never can have wisdom without knowledge. Somebody said this about wisdom, that wisdom is what gives us the preparation to take what we know and apply it to our lives. When we look at what the Bible says about wisdom, Solomon says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. So when we look at this matter of wisdom, it is taking God's word, the knowledge of God's word, and applying it to our lives. You know, our family needs dad's who are wise. Biblically functioning families need a biblically functioning church, and they need to be driven by not just knowing God's Word, but applying God's Word. Here's the second thing that we must learn, is that time is priceless and it is powerful. The older I get, the more I realize just how priceless and powerful time is. You know, we think about time, we can't stop thinking about time. It seems like it has a way of creeping into every conversation. As a matter of fact, I was speaking with somebody in an interview this afternoon, and, and I kept saying to this person, I've got to go in just a few minutes. I've got to go in just a few minutes. It seems like it seeps into every conversation. When we think about what this pricelessness of time is all about, the Oxford Concise Dictionary says, Time is the most frequently used noun in the English language. And you think about all the titles of self-help books, for example. 
Books on time seem to be on the top of the list. For example, here are some self-help books that talk about time. One Year to a College Degree. 30 Days to a Better Life. 7 Days to a Brand New Me. And even 60 Minutes to a Better Marriage. When you think about this, maybe those aren't quick enough to address your crisis. Well, how about this? The One Minute Father. Or the 60 Second Stress Management Book. Or the One Minute Healing Experience. Or the One Minute Therapist. Or how about 60 Seconds to Serenity. More than 100 different titles in print use that word time. You'll find everything from instant Yiddish to instant emotional healing. Running out of time? Why don't you read the book Instant Time Management? The Christian publishing world is not immune to this brand of time thinking. Among examples are 60 Seconds with God, Daily Prayers, 60 Seconds Long, or, I like this one, The Instant Sermon for Busy Pastors. When you look at Proverbs 19.18, it says, Discipline your child while they are young enough to learn. Proverbs 22.6 reminds us that we should point our kids in the right direction. And then when they are old, they won't be lost. You see, children, like all of us, were born in a sin nature. They have this selfish bent to them. There are times in their lives that are precious and priceless. Powerful teaching moments. Teaching a kid to ride a bike, for example. There's a point and there's a time to push. There's a time to let go. There's a time to cheer. There's a time to advise. Well, how do you know if you have this powerful impact upon their lives? I want you to know that even as your children get older, you still have an influence on them. I'm astounded at the fact that I'm still parenting my children, and my oldest is 29, and my youngest is 20. And in some ways, I feel like I'm parenting them more now than when they were under my feet. There's something else that I want you to know. If you're going to be all that God wants you to be, especially if you're a dad, discipline is painful, but it produces peace. Hebrews 12:11 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's very painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in its way. I want you to know that discipline is painful, but it does produce peace. The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. We could call this our entitlement mindset. And it has led to a proliferation of lawsuits. When we don't get something we really want, we sue somebody. For example, the San Francisco Giants were once sued for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. A psychology professor was sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of a mistletoe at a Christmas party. A psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Now you have to wonder about this third one. If she really was a psychic, shouldn't she have known not to go to the doctor in the first place? When we think about discipline, it is painful but it produces peace. How can I live a disciplined life? Well, first of all, you got to live a life that is a life of calmness. 
Proverbs 29, 11 says, you know, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man is calm. Secondly, you've got to be one who is able to handle things quickly, especially when it comes to discipline with your children. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. And then we must discipline accordingly. In other words, allow the punishment to be equal to the offense. And then I think if you are raising children, that you want to discipline them sparingly. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and they quit trying. So to all my dads listening out there today, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want you to know that you have such a profound impact upon your children. Pour your life into your kids. Pray fervently for your kids. As a matter of fact, I don't pray for anybody else more than I pray for my wife and my children. And now I even pray for the spouses of my children, praying for them fervently. When you truly love somebody, you will pray for them fervently. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you tuning in. And as it is Friday, I hope to see you on Sunday at Hickory Ridge Community Church, 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. God bless you. I hope to see you at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock as we gather to worship in spirit and in truth. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Monday. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember... In Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.